minds, open ears to the word that you've given to Pastor Joe. Uh, let us be moved and compelled to not only be hearers of the word, but doers as well. In the name of your son, amen. You may be seated. Good morning, team. Um, my name is Joe Davis, uh, and I'm glad you're here today. Uh, the last Sunday, is this the last Sunday in April? It is the last Sunday in April. Next week, next week will be the first Sunday in May, and hope you guys will be here for that. Yeah. Uh, so we've been doing our series on 2 Corinthians, and we're just going through chapter by chapter, verse by verse. And as you know, chap, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and chapter 9, I've been sharing this with you, is all about generosity and giving. And so you've heard a couple sermons on the topic already. You guys already know about uh, how I have been in the past very uncomfortable talking about money, afraid to offend people or anything like that. And I'm getting, I'm getting over that. And so, and I have to because it's in the scripture, <laughs> Matt. The, the shepherd in charge of finances is clapping that. I'm glad to hear. So, but today is a little different because I'll tell you, I've been in church for most of my adult life and I've heard a lot of sermons about giving. And I have preached two sermons about giving last week and the week before. But I cannot recall ever in my church career any sermons that focused on the responsibility that the church has in how your generosity in giving should be handled. Normally what is preached on is, you know, you really need to be generous because the church can't survive without your generosity, your time, your talent, and your treasure. But the part that I've never really heard about was what the scripture says, and somebody preaching about, this is what the scripture says we're supposed to do with your money. And so it is a two-way street. And so today's sermon is titled Sacred Trust. And that's what we're going to discuss today in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 16 through 24. I'm just going to read the passage to you. But thanks be to God who put into the heart of Titus the same earnest care I have for you. For he not only accepted our appeal, but being himself very earnest, he is going to you out of his own choice or his own accord. With him we are sending the brother who is famous among all the churches for his preaching of the gospel. It's kind of like the first century Billy Graham there, apparently. And not only that, but he has been appointed by the churches to travel with us as we carry out this act of grace that is being ministered by us for the glory of the Lord himself and to show your goodwill or show our goodwill. We take this course so that no one should blame us about this generous gift that is being administered by us. In other words, we are taking this extra step because this money that all these churches are giving to give to the hurting Christians in Jerusalem, we want to make sure that no one can put any blame on us for handling it the incorrect way. We, for we aim for what is honorable, not only in the Lord's sight, but also in the sight of man. And with them, we are sending our brother whom we have often tested and found earnest in many matters, but who is now more earnest than ever because of his great confidence in you. As for Titus, he is my partner and fellow worker for your benefit. And as for our brothers, they are messengers of the churches, the glory of Christ. So give proof before the churches of your love and of our boasting about you to these men. 
So we like to break it down three ways. The history of a passage. What about man? What did he do and why and how did he do it? And this is the historical application. I want to talk about Paul's all-star finance team. And that's really what it was. And by the way, just as a special note, in chapters 7 and 8, the word earnest comes up about nine times. So we're going to talk about that in just a little bit. But I wanted you to be aware of the fact that the word earnest is all through chapter 7 and all through chapter 8. And most of it is in the discussion of this generous gift to the, uh, the church in Jerusalem. Let's talk about the three superstars Paul names in this passage. He sends three men of fame. You know, not necessarily Roman fame or, or Hollywood-type fame, but they were famous and high regard of integrity and diligence and competence within the church. All the churches that Paul has started from, from, from Macedonia to Jerusalem to Greece to Corinth to Philippi, all, Thessalonica, all these churches that Paul had started, including the one in Jerusalem, Paul didn't start that one, but including that one, everybody knew who this famous brother was. And he was famous because he was a good preacher. That's why he was famous. So he talks about, first of all, this faithful teammate. Let me talk about Titus first. Titus was Paul's partner. Titus was very familiar with Corinth. Matter of fact, in 1 Corinthians 4.7, uh, it says here, uh, 4.17, he talks about Titus in 1 Corinthians, the letter, you know, two letters before this. That's why I sent you, Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of his ways in Christ, as I teach them everywhere in every church. Everyone knew that Titus was one of Paul's most close allies, close collaborators. So in this all-star team, he sends somebody who was very closely associated with Paul. Then he talks about that famous preacher. Paul puts celebrity power on this team. And Paul says, this guy, this guy who was so famous for preaching the gospel has been appointed not by me, but by all the other churches to carry their offering that they've been taking up to take to the poor suffering Christians in Jerusalem. Remember, they were going through a famine and persecution and they were having a hard time making ends meet. And so Paul is going around to all these Gentile churches that he started collecting their money. And one of the people that was put in charge of this was this famous preacher that everyone knew. And then he talks about another person, a third person on this team, a tested brother. This guy was proven with his integrity. This was a guy that had been perhaps maybe been handling money for a long time for the church. I don't know. There's a lot of mystery about these, these two guys. Titus is named, but these two aren't. But one is famous for preaching and one is famous for being honest, which is pretty cool. So there's a lot of theories why these men are not named. Maybe it was because they wanted to be protected and they didn't really have to be named because everybody knew who they were. But just in case somebody intercepted the letter or something like that, they did, I, I don't know. There's a lot of things, right? And, and these were well-known men enough by the Corinthians that they did not need to be named in this letter. Could be guys like Luke, who it seems would have been a tested guy with a lot of integrity. Apollos, Barnabas. Silas, Timothy, Mark, could have been a lot of people. Perhaps this famous preacher, this famous brother was from Corinth. Perhaps he had been instrumental in the church at Corinth. We don't know. But we know this, everybody else did. Everybody else knew who they were. Everybody else knew why they were famous. Everybody else knew, oh, that makes sense. They'd be on this team carrying all this money. 
So Paul sends this highly respected team to collect the offering for Jerusalem and to be faithful with it. It was probably enough money where they could have just skipped town and never had to work again. So this is a famous team, three superstars for an important task. The first thing I want to talk about about this important task, I want to give you this word, uh, this high priority. And there's the word that I told you occurs so many times in these chapters. Spude. It's the Greek word. Is what, here's what the, we've translated earnestly in a lot of our English translations. To move quickly, to speed on properly, swiftness, to show zealous diligence. For example, to give one's best. So the idea here is he says this task has highest priority. It needs to be done fast. It needs to be done right. And it needs to be done now. Throughout this section, Paul is encouraging swift diligence, not only in the charge to give, but also in the process to make sure that it is handled the right way. He doesn't delay. And he doesn't want them to delay. He doesn't want any dithering committees. Churches are good at that. He wants action, and he wants it now because the need in Jerusalem is severe. He says, collect the offering every week. These guys are in charge of going around, picking it up, taking it to Jerusalem. He wanted this task to be completed soon because the need was now, and the need was huge. Guys, these are men who would not be involved in something that wasn't very important. These are well-known men, very busy men, important men, men with a lot of responsibility. They were reliable, responsible, committed. And you know what? According to last week's sermon, they were connected to kingdom, to God, and to God's people. So this task is at this point the most important thing going on in the worldwide church at that time. Do you understand that? This is the most important thing for every church in every city. Everything is centered around, we've got to get these gifts to these poor, suffering Christians in Jerusalem. High priority. High transparency. Men of this caliber show that the project is 100% legitimate. It's got the good seal of approval from this famous preacher and this famous honest guy and this famous helper of Paul in Titus. The best the first century church had to offer was carrying this money all over the ancient world. Because Paul says, for we aim at what is honorable not only in the Lord's sight, but also in the sight of man. So we see high priority, high transparency, and high confidence. This team had extreme confidence that their trip to Corinth would not be a waste. That the Corinthians would come through. Look, it's a long trip to make for nothing. They don't have a truck. They don't have Uber. They don't have Expedia. This is like on donkeys, maybe a horse. A lot of it is walking. It's highly unlikely that Paul would send these incredibly important men to the church on this mission to collect an offering that might not go well. Do you understand? 
Paul is not expecting, and these men are not expecting to go to Corinth and draw blanks. Paul says, I've been bragging about you, and I'm excited about the way you're going to blow these guys away with your surprising generosity. You understand, a commitment like this, a first century commitment at this level to a church was a huge undertaking. To travel around without cars, mind you, in the region, carrying large sums of money, you're a target for governments, for thieves, for swindlers, for con artists. They're carrying these gifts around to Jerusalem for poor, suffering, persecuted Christians. This is not an easy task. It may very well be, if you'll allow me, because of the fact of how they lived and how long these trips would take, would take it may very well be the job of their life. It's politically dangerous. It's personally dangerous. And personally, very costly, very expensive. This type of commitment by these people had to be supernatural. They were approved by the churches, trusted to carry this act of grace, is what Paul called their giving, to deliver these gifts collected to Jerusalem in whole. And Paul explained this because he knew that their commitment and their credibility would inspire the Corinthians to be surprisingly generous. Understanding how seriously he, Paul, and his team took this task would inspire not only their participation, but the participation of all the other churches around. Paul was not asking them to give and just, just trust us. He was saying, you need to give. You need to give generously, and here's why you know your money will not be wasted. So that's the history. Now I want to talk about the theology. What does God do, and how does he do it? I've entitled this part of the uh, sermon, Raised Up by God. This team's credibility, guys, was crucial. They were well-known in many regions for being trustworthy, faithful, connected to God, kingdom, and people. Their reputation was not garnered overnight, over a short time. They had earned this reputation of being trustworthy, diligent, expedient, and faithful over a period of time. The reputation they had was an act of God, not because of their religious prowess or their political adeptness. Because here's why they were called. First of all, they were saved by grace. You understand, these were men taken out of darkness into light. The church is still very young. They became followers of Christ, most likely in their adult life. They didn't grow up in, you know, Corinthian Baptist church. The church became their highest priority late in life. I find that fascinating. They all had priorities before they were Christians that were the most important thing. Paul's most important thing was the temple. And now he's planting churches all over the place. We had this famous preacher. We don't know what he did. Maybe he was an accountant. I doubt it, but he could have been. Accountants usually, you know, aren't famous. Are they? Are they famous? No? Some of us. Okay, good. Some of you. But this became their priority late in life. And it was their number one priority. Then they are saved by grace, but they're also products of transformation. 
their values before being followers of Christ had been transformed into kingdom values, values that aligned with the gospel and the mission that God's kingdom had. And so whatever values they had before Christ saved them, before God saved them, before grace entered their life, those values would not have inspired them to leave their families behind and go on this circuit, picking up this money and bringing it back to the suffering Christians in Jerusalem. Those were new values. Do you understand that? Those were supernatural values brought about by grace and transformation. You know what else happens when they're raised up by God? They became servants of God's people. This is because God transformed them into servants, not of themselves, but into those that were in love with God's people. And those who were amazed by their acts of surprising grace and surprising generosity. For them to do this, they had to love, first of all, they had to love the Christians in Jerusalem. They had to love the Christians that they were collecting the money from to trust that they would go there and not be a waste of their time. Nobody could doubt or discount their commitment to the movement of the first century church. Do you understand being committed to the, committed to the movement of today's church is a lot easier than being committed to the movement of the first century church? The first century church did not have a bunch of big, awesome, inspiring buildings And really fancy hats. They didn't have literally priceless art collections. They were mostly poor people who lived outside of the city. The first century church was not an institution that promised to take care of all their needs. And have a good youth ministry program and a good children's ministry. And the praise band is going to be great. You're going to like the music. If you don't, send Megan Mooney at Hotmail.com and complain and give her all the new music you want her to play. Don't do that. Don't do that. So making a commitment like this to the first century church was a huge deal. And these were servants of God's people. They were committed to it in their time, in their talent, and in their treasure. All right, let's talk about the devotional. What about me? What am I supposed to do? And why and how do we and and I do it? I want to talk about our responsibility as a church. For those of you that are on social media, you see each week my uh, Sunday sermon preview. I don't know why I'm not getting more likes. I need to talk to you guys about that. I want you to like it. Like it, like it, like it, like it, like it. Surprising generosity must be received with integrity and transparency. See, if we just talk about surprising generosity, but don't provide for you a structure and a process that surprises you with our transparency, then it's only half the game and we are letting you down. Part of the burden of generosity lies, yes, on the church, but it also relies on leadership to inspire you with our integrity. And we desire as a church for you to have the type of confidence in us that all the churches had in those three men. Confidence in us regarding how we manage your surprising generosity. We want the energy we put into our integrity and transparency to inspire your trust, your confidence, and importantly, your action. We hope our commitment level will grow yours. Because you can tell when God raises up good people because it produces a couple of things. First of all, they're trustworthy people. 
don't know if you know, we have a team of amazing people that serve you by making sure your money is collected properly and counted and verified. Jim Cerny leads that team on Sunday mornings. A man who I would give trust with all of my personal finances if I had to, because I know he would not steal a dime. Matthew Dennis, one of our shepherds, help over, helping to oversee the financial structures and how we do that and vision casting. Anna, who's one of our staff members who helps coordinate all that. We have Sue Grundy, Dan Kay, Bill Kemp. We have a team of people who take this money and count it for you every week to make sure it's done correctly in a way that you can trust and know is reliable. And you can rest assured that these are people that you don't have to lose a wink of sleep about their integrity. You can rest assured that your surprising generosity is always in the hands of people God has transformed into trustworthy members of his kingdom. These are trustworthy people. It's why I don't count the money. I mean, not because I'm not trusting. I mean, never mind. Can you edit that out, Kevin? I appreciate that. Before it goes on to the World Wide Web, that'd be great. Okay. I want to talk about the next thing that happens when God raises up people. You can tell that God raises up people because there's a trustworthy process. From collection to counting to recording to deposit, their process is above board, void of corruption. The process that they as a team have come up with removes opportunity for anyone to carry out nefarious actions with your surprising generosity. This team has a passion to serve you by taking care of your surprising acts of generosity. They strive not only, just as Paul said, they strive not only to be pure before God, but they conduct themselves in a way that is pure before men without reproach. They have a process, and I'm not going to go into all of it today because it would bore you, but it doesn't bore them. They love it, and they make sure it's done right. And because God raises up people that are trustworthy, that give you a trustworthy process, the result is trustworthy. You can know, church, that your acts of grace are accounted for properly and that they're not wasted or squandered. You can know that the reporting or the details that you want to know when you ask will be provided expeditiously and accurately with complete visibility. And just like the rest of your church staff, by the way, this team serves Grace Life for little or no compensation, most of them. This is a a team of people that are approved, proven, faithful, and they are in love with you and your acts of generosity. And when they see people that are giving, it is a humbling experience for them to know these people are trusting us with their kingdom resources. They are more careful with that than they are with their own money, I would imagine. We hope that this team shows you, according to our passage today, look, this is just what was in the passage. We hope our team shows you 
that Grace Life is striving to be the best bang for your kingdom buck as you could possibly imagine. Seriously. I mean, in the end, the way giving is, it's kind of like the last true free market left. You give what you want, when, to who, and how. You're not mandated to do it. We don't send you an invoice. And we hope that our efforts in transparency and honesty and integrity inspire you to know that Grace Life takes your generosity seriously and is humbled by it and loves you for it. It's one of the reasons why we try to be as low cost of a church as we possibly can be. So I was thinking through, how do I close out this? You always like to put something on the last slide, you know, some sort of pithy thing that you remember for the next 50 years. Okay, 30 minutes, but either way. So I want you to try to remember it. And I was, what do I say? You know what? I can't say it any better than Paul did. Let me put the last couple of verses up that Paul says in today's passage. And as for our brothers, and I put and sisters, because we have some great women on this team as well. They are messengers of the churches, the glory of Christ. These people's lives of integrity are the messages of Christian, uh, Christians, the message of God's church, the message of Christ, the way God has transformed them. So give proof before the churches. In other words, participate in surprising generosity of your love and of our boasting about you to these men and women. This is the sacred trust that Paul describes in Corinthians 8. And the reason Paul went through and explained this is because he knew that if these people know how serious we are about our task, they will be surprisingly generous. Because we're a young church, we still have processes that we're trying to work out, you know, to make sure things are done the right way. But I can tell you this, the people who are in place to run that are in love with you and in love with your sacrifice and surprising generosity. And it is given the highest priority in how it will be spent and handled. Dad, thank you so much for entrusting us with not only your people, but their gifts, their talents, their time, their treasure. Continue to help us to be protected so that our process can be trustworthy and transparent. May we fulfill our obligation of this sacred trust to your people as they give surprising generosity to reach out to our community in a way that brings a huge, massive smile to your face. In Jesus' name, amen.